The war between Israel and Gaza has sparked much conversation and much controversy. Some questions have come up regarding the legitimacy of the Jewish people residing in the state of Israel today. Are the Jews living there today the same Jewish people from the Bible that declares their ancient heritage? Or are they a different group? Imposters, perhaps, like the Khazars instead? And what role did the Rothschild family play in the establishment of the state of Israel? Have their involvement meant that the state of Israel's establishment is a move of man instead of a move of God, deeming it not a true fulfillment of biblical prophecy? And if this is a true biblical fulfillment of prophecy, why isn't the temple of God rebuilt as the Bible declares would happen? And lastly, if Israel's return is a true fulfillment of prophecy, why isn't Yeshua, the Messiah, Jesus, seated on the throne already today? As for our first question, did the Rothschild family create the modern state of Israel? The story goes that the Rothschild family influenced the resettling of Jewish people both before and after World War II into the state of Israel. And therefore, this state of Israel is an invention of man instead of a move of God. The argument goes that God could not possibly use a family such as the Rothschilds to fulfill his will with bringing Israel back to the land because this family is evil. Some even say satanic. Let's go on that train of thought to state that, yes, let's say the Rothschilds had a hand in reestablishing the state of Israel. I want to now go to some biblical examples to consider whether it would be possible for God to use such a family to accomplish his will. I want to remind you of biblical example number one. When Israel was given a promise that they will have a land in their future that God is preparing for them, one of the most pivotal moments of bringing them one step closer to that land was when there was a man who had a snake on his head as a symbol of allegiance to the snake, the Rothschild of Egypt, if you will, Pharaoh. And God uses Pharaoh to resettle Israel into the wilderness from where on which God would ultimately resettle them into the promised land. We read in Romans 9, 17, for the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this purpose, I have raised you up that I might show my power in you and that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. God used Pharaoh and he says that I raised you up to be used 
for my greater purposes. Yes, Pharaoh was on the wrong side. He was a pagan king. He had a snake on his head. He worshiped other gods and God brought judgment upon him and his kingdom. However, God still used Pharaoh even for his own purposes, because God is so great that he even uses evil against the people of God, turns it around to fulfill the will of God. Another great example that we can talk about is King Nebuchadnezzar, who was also a pagan king whom God used, on the other hand, to bring judgment upon Israel, to scatter them from Jerusalem into the nations. And God even says that I have raised Nebuchadnezzar as my servant to accomplish my will. And so Nebuchadnezzar, similarly to Pharaoh, being a pagan king, nevertheless, was used by God to accomplish his greater purposes. And maybe we can go for one more example, shall we? The perfect example of Christ himself. When he was raised up on that cross and all of his enemies laughed and thought in their hearts that they had overcome Christ's ministry and mission, God turned the tables on them for everything that was done by evil men against Yeshua himself was there to accomplish then ultimately the perfect will of God for him to die at the hands of men, but then to be raised again to bring about restoration to the world, taking their sins upon him. Romans 8:28 We know then that those who love God all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purposes. Therefore, no matter what kind of an evil man or family or king is involved in the fulfillment of prophecies, their involvement does not negate the authenticity of the fulfillment of that prophecy. For according to the Bible, God has very oftentimes used pagan kings, rulers, elites, men of influence, even those in allegiance to the snake to accomplish his will in directing Israel here or there. Some also state that, well, it's not even simply the Rothschild family that were involved in the creation of the state of Israel, but there were Christian politicians who were aware of the biblical prophecy, who tried to pull strings in order for this biblical prophecy to come about. And therefore, because they tried to fulfill it by their own will, they it was not therefore according to God's will. That means that is an illegitimate state of Israel, therefore, because this regathering is illegitimate. That is the other argument. Now, let's consider the bar that is being set by this idea. The bar that's being said is that if at any point in the fulfillment of any prophecy, someone is involved in the fulfillment of that prophecy, who is aware of that prophecy beforehand, that immediately makes the prophecy fulfillment illegitimate. But does that make sense? The reality is, is that whenever men have tried to bring a prophecy to fulfillment before its time, they have failed. 
they will continue to fail. It is impossible for a prophecy to be fulfilled before its time. When a prophecy is taking place in the reality of this world, then it is being fulfilled. No matter who is involved, no matter what they may have known about it beforehand, because God won't allow it otherwise. He is the one who has the ultimate say. Therefore, according to the biblical examples we've discussed and many more in the Bible, the scriptures teach us that men They may be good, they may be evil, but nevertheless, God can use them. And whatever God wants done, whatever prophecy says will happen, will happen. And when we perceive it to happen, we can know that the Bible is being fulfilled before our eyes. But I want to talk about another problem regarding what all of this really reveals, I believe. And that is the error of generalization and what the motive is regarding the argument of the Rothschild family's involvement. I want to remind you of something that happened in World War Two with the Nazi propaganda. When I was doing my honors degree in university, I studied Nazi propaganda because I wanted to understand how it could have been possible for a man like Hitler to deceive an entire nation such as Germany into the degree of anti-Semitism that they entered in. What I found is that it wasn't that Hitler introduced Germany to hating Jews. He only popularized it. He only reinforced the existing public opinions and he made what is inexpressible expressible. That which was not allowed to be said before, that is to be anti-Semitic. He being in public saying this is okay. Suddenly society came together and the anti-Semitism that was behind closed doors simply came out into the light, making it making it acceptable to persecute Jewish people. And that is exactly what is happening today, brothers and sisters. We are seeing anti-Semitism more in the open than ever before coming out because it is being popularized yet again, but it's not being popularized in the way that Hitler did it, but more covertly. See, Hitler used propaganda posters as one of his main ways of doing so. He showed in these posters Jewish people that were wealthy. They had some of them were portrayed as having these big noses, being greedy, being the bankers, being evil, being rats and all kinds of disgusting stereotypes were created. And these are really a strategy of generalization where in which you use an image of a person, whereas you're zooming into an individual within a group and you are propping that up as a representative, a stereotype that gives truth to the entire group. And I want to submit to you that this is what is happening today. That's many people in the world and even dare I say some Bible teachers have done the same. They have taught the evils of certain Jewish people like the Rothschilds family. And ultimately, they have done this to stoke hatred against all Jewish people. 
Like in this example, the Rothschild family is used to discredit the entire state of Israel. Without exaggeration, what we're seeing today is the exact same strategy that was invoked within the Nazi regime. The reality is, brothers and sisters, that not all Jewish people are like the Rothschild family. Not all Jewish people are like the Israeli government. Not all Jewish people are moving in droves to Israel because of their Rothschild family. They are doing so because the biblical prophecy is being fulfilled before our eyes and they are being drawn back to Israel because God is drawing them back to Israel. And whatever actors are in Israel that aren't pure in heart, that is to be expected because within the state of Israel from the first century before the first century unto today, there have been a beautiful Jewish people with good hearts who are people who love God and continuously try to do good. And there are people who are Jewish, who do not love God, who want evil, who are greedy. But none of that discredits the good. There is a danger for gentle believers to fall into the same anti-Semitism that is so evident in the world. What we so often forget is when we look upon Israel with all of the issues that they may have, we forget the mercies of God that he had for us when we were sinners, when we were far off, when we were evil and did continuously evil against him and how God had mercy on us. We forget about Nineveh and how God sent Jonah to Nineveh. Jonah thought Nineveh was way too evil, that they didn't deserve the forgiveness that God had in store. But nevertheless, God was better than Jonah and had more mercy than Jonah. God sometimes has more mercy than we do. And we should be careful to stand against his mercy and go to the people that God has sent us to, no matter what we may think as to what they deserve, forgetting what we deserve without Christ. As Jonah went to Nineveh, we should should provoke the Jewish people to jealousy. What about the Pharisees who spoke of Yeshua, the Messiah, saying, does he even know who is touching him when the woman who was a sinner touched him? They had much less understanding of God's mercy than Yeshua had. This brings us to our next big question and conversation that's been going around regarding the war, and that is who is actually living in Israel today? Are they authentic Jewish people from the Bible before the scattering of Israel into the nations or are they an imposter group of people, intruders known as the Khazars? The belief is that modern Eastern European Jewry descended from a people known as the Khazars. They converted to Judaism in the 8th century and lived in present day Ukraine and all through Europe. And ultimately, they are the ones now who've made their way into the area of Israel. Now, the source of the popularity of the Khazar theory that the Jewish people in Israel are simply converts, but not the authentic line that is from biblical times 
It comes from a book by a man called Arthur Kussler. The book's called The Thirteenth Tribe. It should also be noted that Kussler had a fascination with mysticism and the paranormal. So much so that he asked for his entire estate to be donated upon his death for the study of the paranormal. Kussler, who's an atheist and who did not believe in the Bible at all, he wrote in his book the motive for why he wrote it. He wrote, I have tried to show that the evidence from anthropology concurs with history in refuting the popular belief in a Jewish race that descended from the biblical tribe. The irony is that Kussler wrote this book as a Jew himself in hope to disconnect his people from the biblical people so that the anti-Semitism that he experienced in his day would stop forever. But ironically, the opposite happened. Anti-Semites grabbed a hold of his theories and used it as weaponry to come against the Jewish people more. There's certainly some truth to that the people who live in Israel today have some genetic connection to the Khazars. However, not nearly in the same way and to the degree that was proposed in the book. Today, we're going to look at some of what the science actually says. We see from the following sources, an interview with genetics expert Dr. Cole Skorecki and the phylogenetic applications of whole Y chromosome sequences and the Near Eastern origin of Ashkenazi Levites. But this is what we find. Genetics expert Dr. Cole Skorecki has been involved in several research projects concerning the genetics of Jewish people. In an interview, he confirmed that DNA markers for self-identifying Jews show a high degree of relatedness to each other and great affinity to each other, wherever they might be from, whether Morocco, Lithuania, Iraq, India or Europe. This indicates a common ancestry. Listen to the rest. Along with many other studies, his research found that in contrast to the previously suggested Eastern European origin for Ashkenazi Levites being Khazars, the current data are indicative of a geographic source of the Levite founder lineage in the Near East and its likely presence among pre-diaspora Hebrews. The truth that we can see from science today of simply testing the blood and looking at the genetics where people come from, they have traced the people living in Israel today to those who lived in Israel before they were scattered into the diaspora. Therefore, the theory that the people living in Israel today are all Khazars, impostors, that they are converts to Judaism in the 8th century, and that they are, have no lineage to the biblical ancestors who lived in Israel is unequivocally, indisputably false. And the man who brought that theory to light was an atheist who didn't believe in the Bible and who wanted to disconnect his people from anything to do with a people group of the 
Bible. Do you want to believe a man like that? Or are you going to believe what the Bible says? Amos 9 verse 11. In that day, I will raise up the booth of David that has fallen and repair its breaches and raise up its ruins and rebuild it as in the days of old, that they may possess the remnant of Edom and all the nations who are called by my name declares the Lord who does this. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when the plowman shall overtake the reaper and the treader of grapes, him who sows the seed. The mountains shall drip sweet wine and all the hills shall flow with it. Thus far, we see that this has come to pass. We can today go into many of our own grocery stores today and buy wine that has come from the land of Israel. And this was not possible even a hundred years ago. He says in verse 14, I will restore the fortunes of my people Israel, and they shall rebuild the ruined cities and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and drink their wine. They shall make gardens and eat their fruit. I will plant them on their land, and they shall never again be uprooted out of the land that I have given them, says the Lord your God. Before Israel was regathered to the land in the 20th century, we have eyewitness evidence. The report of the Palestine Royal Commission quotes an account of the Maritime Plan in 1913. The road leading from Gaza to the north was only a summer track suitable for transport by camels and carts. No orange groves, orchards, vineyards were to be seen until one reached a Jewish village of Yabna. Houses were all of mud. No windows were anywhere to be seen. The plows used were of wood. The yields were very poor. The sanitary conditions in the village were horrible. Schools did not exist. The western part towards the sea was almost a desert. The villages in this area were few and thinly populated. Many ruins of villages were scattered over the area as owing to the prevalence of malaria and many villages were deserted by their inhabitants. In 1931, Louis French, the British director of development, wrote of Israel. We found it inhabited by Felahan, who lived in mud hovels and suffered severely from the prevalent malaria. Large areas were uncultivated. The Felahan, if not themselves cattle thieves, were always ready to harbor these and other criminals. The individual plots change hands annually. But after Israel inhabited it, it overflowed with prosperity as we see it today. The fulfillment of biblical prophecy. But you may now ask, PD, isn't the Messiah then supposed to be ruling at the same time as Israel is restored? And if Israel is restored, isn't there supposed to be a temple built right now? Obviously, there is no temple on the mount. It is the Islamic temple that's standing there. Therefore, Since the biblical prophecy says the temple will stand there, does this mean that this regathering is not legitimate and it is not a true fulfillment of biblical prophecy? Let's read Ezekiel 37, 27, where this all comes from. My dwelling place shall be with them and I will be their God and they will be my people. Now, what's important for us to understand is context. Let's read a few verses earlier. Verse 23, they shall not defile themselves anymore with their idols, their 
detestable things or of any of their transgressions. But I will save them for all the backslidings in which they have sinned and will cleanse them and they will be my people and I will be their God. What we have to understand is that Ezekiel 37 is speaking about a future fulfillment because it's speaking about the day when Yeshua cleanses Israel, removes all idol worship. It is the fulfillment that we also see in Zechariah 13, verse one, where it says on that day, there should be a fountain open for the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to cleanse them from sin and uncleanness. What we have to understand of biblical prophecy is that it is almost always a process that takes many years to fulfill. No one is claiming that the regathering of Israel is complete. It is not complete and everyone knows it. That is why every year thousands upon thousands of Jewish people are making what they call Aliyah to Israel so they can be restored to their citizenship there. Therefore, in the same way we see in the Bible that Israel, when they were in the wilderness, right? God comes to them and he says, I'm giving you a prophetic word that I am going to give you a land of promise that you are going to dwell there, that it is going to be a time of freedom, that there's going to be it's going to be a fruitful land and all of these things. And Israel heard the prophecy and they started seeing some of the signs of that prophecy come about. But the reality is, is they did not see that prophecy come to pass. Many of their children, however, did. It took 40 years in the wilderness before they could be restored to that promised land, before that prophecy can be completely fulfilled. The prophecy was given long before to Abraham, but it's only fulfilled when they actually enter that land many, 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 many years later. We as a people want prophecies to happen now. We read a Bible verse and the next Bible verse and we say this and that and that all has to happen at the same time. The reality is prophecy doesn't work that way. Prophecy comes in stages and sometimes over multiple lifetimes. Israel will indeed one day see King Yeshua ruling from Jerusalem, their one and only king, the king of heaven. But that is to come. That does not mean because it hasn't come yet that God isn't starting the process of regathering his people. In conclusion, I want to submit to you why there is so much hate for the Jewish people. The world hates the Jewish people because the Bible said that the enemy will continue to make a war with the seed. Abraham's promised offspring is the line through which the Messiah has come, the line of David. And as he has come through that line, that line was persecuted and will continue to be persecuted until the end of the age. There are therefore people who live in Israel today who are absolutely connected to the ancient Israelites who from the beginning were promised that land. We see the culture preserved of the ancient Israelites. We see that the scriptures have been preserved. The keeping of the law has been preserved. This Sabbath, for example, 
as God commanded for it to be remembered as the fourth commandment remains remembered by the people of Israel, the only nation on earth who has remembered it, the distinct marker of not only the Jewish people, but God's people. Furthermore, they continue to keep the biblical feast days as a nation and their bloodline has been supernaturally preserved throughout the ages. There is no nation that has been preserved in all of the ways that I have just discussed as Israel has been preserved. Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, let us put away all anti-Semitism from our midst. Let us not hate them as the world hates them. There is nothing wrong with criticizing the decisions of a government entity in Israel or the decisions of an individual or what. But there is something wrong with looking at the generalized group of people, as many today, even believers are doing and trying to discredit them and their ownership of the land that God has given them according to the oldest deed that we have in every drawer in America contained within the pages of every Bible. Let us provoke our Jewish brothers and sisters to jealousy by loving them and praying for their deliverance and them to have their eyes opened to see the Messiah who is Jewish for who he is. Thank you for joining me here today. Share this video far and wide so we can quench the lies of the enemy trying to take root in the hearts of men. I look forward to seeing you in the next one. Blessings to you and Shalom and pray for the peace of Jerusalem.